Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Reformed Dissenters. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Um, thank you for listening to us or watching us, uh, depending on whatever platform you are on. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined here in the wonderful state of South Dakota with my good friend Joseph Lassiter. Hello. And uh, we are also joined today by uh, Gary DeMar. Um, so thank you so, so much for joining us today. Well, it's glad to uh, be seen by all of you and to be interviewed and see what, we'll see what happens. Yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Uh, so we're, we're very, very excited to have uh, Gary Damar on with us um, on the show today. Um, we got some very exciting topics to discuss, and we're, we're so glad that he uh, agreed to join us today. So um, if you would like to share this show with your friends, and we would really love you to do that, um, go to trdshow.net, grab that link, and share it with as many people as you can. Um, we also have our brand new referral program, so you can start earning points towards free merch. So we have t-shirts, free mugs, free stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. Go to trdshow.net slash refer. Uh, also, you can email the show, get in contact with us at trdshow at protonmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And if you're interested in following us on uh, platforms that don't censor you and actually care about free speech, uh, follow us on our pro First Amendment platforms such as Gab, Gab TV, Rumble, Getter, um, and a whole host of others. And you can find all of those on our website. As just a quick announcement, just remember that uh, this week on April 7th, is our Rapid City event, the cross-politic um, event here in Rapid City. So very exciting. It's not too late to register. If you are interested in that, go to crosspolitic.com slash Liberty Tour. Gary Damar is going to be speaking there, which will be uh, very neat. Um, and, uh, you know, Jacob Johnson, my brother, wasn't able to join us today because he's actually on his way driving out here for the event. So, um, but... It's still going to be a really, really cool conversation, and we're, we're very excited about, about this event. we got a lot of stuff planned, so definitely go to crosspolitic.com slash Liberty Tour and register for that. Um, so, show breakdown. What's going to happen today? First of all, we're going to have our kind of our interview, our discussion with Gary tomorrow. We have some very interesting topics that um, I'd love to bring up and, and discuss with him, um, get his perspective on some of that. And we're going to introduce him as well. For those of you who haven't heard of him, uh, we're going to introduce him in a second. And then after that, we're actually going to be moving on to our literature of the month, and we're going to be reading Gary DeMar's book, God and Government, Volume 2. So we read Volume 1 a couple months ago on the show. Now we're moving on to Volume 2, repeating the same theme. Um, and it's really neat that we get to have the author of the book on the show with us. I think this is a, it's a new, new TRD show history right here. So very cool. Um, but before we get to all of that, we have to talk about the verse of the week. And our verse this week is Psalms 19 verses 7 through 8. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, uh, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And again, that was Psalm 19 verses 7 through 8. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, especially in these two chapters, and over the past month, we read Greg Bonson's book, you know, Always Ready. We're talking about worldview, we're talking about presuppositions, all of those sorts of things. And, and where should we be getting that from, right? As Christians, the word of God should be where we draw our presuppositions from, our worldview, all of that. So this psalm, I thought, just really, really spoke to that very clearly. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure. Um, precepts of the Lord are right. So we, we need to remember these things when we're talking about worldviews, when we're talking about presuppositions, all of these sorts of things. So 
Um, all right, let's move into our discussion with our guest, Gary DeMar. Um, and I uh, did want to kind of introduce him. He has uh, served as the president of American Vision for 35 years. If you haven't heard of that, AmericanVision.com, I believe it is. Um, .org. So, .org, thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, AmericanVision.org is a, just a fantastic site. Um, so many resources on there. You can, I think you can get the book, God in Government, directly from the site, um, in addition to all of the other books that, that uh, Gary has written. So definitely check that out. Um, he's a graduate of Western Michigan University, 1973, and earned his uh, Master's in Divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary in 1979. Um, he's written countless essays, news articles, and more than 35 book titles. Um, he's been featured by nearly every news media outlet, um, and he also has his own show, The Gary DeMar Show, um, as well as History Unwrapped. I'll have to look up that one. That one I haven't heard, but sounds really interesting. Um, and Gary DeMar's Vantage Point web show and is a regular contributor to AmericanVision.org. Oh, it wasn't there. I just needed to read a little, read a little further. <laughs> so thank you so much, uh, Gary, for, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Well, most of uh, some of that, it's a little old since, since podcasting is taking place. I, I do three podcasts a week and uh, two articles a week. Uh, wow. those other, the other things aren't... Uh, really applicable anymore. Those were the days before we had, you know, podcasting. So right mm. now I'm doing, I'm doing podcasting, uh, like I said, three, three days a week. And nice. you can go to AmericanVision.org and various platforms. Uh, we're on the Canon app as well. Oh, very cool. Very cool. That's the Canon Plus? Yes. Yes. Nice. Very neat. That's a and I do platform uh, too. I do a heavy lifting for the uh, cross-politics folks as well. One, uh, cool. one a week. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. I'll have to check some of these out myself as well. <laughs> That's really neat. Um, awesome. Well, you know, moving on to our first kind of first discussion, you know, in, in light of current events and the, and the political climate that we've seen, especially in the past like two years, um, given the fact that as Christians, we're, we're called to be salt and light. And that's our theme. Matthew 513 is our is our theme verse for the show. What would be some practical steps that a Christian could take to affect their communities, their country, or their state? Like, we, we hear about a lot of hypothetical, we hear a lot about idealistic, you know, this is where we're going, we, we need to get here, what does the Bible say about culture, right? But what, Gary, do you think are some practical steps that we can start tomorrow or today to start to get there? What would you recommend? Well, one of the reasons I wrote God in Government, the first volume of God in Government came out in 1982, uh, you're all very, very young. You have no idea what was taking place in the in the, in the 70s and then in the 80s. Uh, but in the 19, 1976, Jimmy Carter was elected president. And he was he was uh, uh, touted as the a, a born again Christian, which was something new to the to the media at, at that time. They had no idea what a born again person was. Wow. Billy Graham actually had to write a book called How to Be Born Again. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of in and of itself is a little, a little crazy. So it was really the first time that Christians kind of entered the political realm as a singular voice, a community of believers that had something to say regarding politics. Hmm. And, but it turned out that Jimmy Carter was, was a, a disappointment in terms of his, his Christian values and so forth. He supported uh, the, the homosexuality, he, he didn't really oppose abortion, 
Um, his economic policies were you know, off the chart. Those were the days when interest rates were, I don't know, 15, mortgage rates were like 15%. Hmm. Uh, in, inflation was, was uh, a rampant. Uh, wow. We were was something called stagflation with inflation going, high prices going up, but at the same time, the economy wasn't, wasn't moving forward. Uh, we were still in something of a Cold War with the former Soviet Union. That, so this is, that was the time that uh, you know, I, I grew up in. I, of course, I was born much earlier than that. I was born in 1950, uh, but in the, the 19, 1970s, uh, that's, that's where we were. Hmm. And the, the Christians finally, because I think of Jimmy Carter, finally had a, had a voice. There was, always a, there was always a liberal side of Protestant Christianity, which was a voting bloc. And plus you had Roman Catholics and you had the Jewish vote. But for the most part, you did not have a Christian Christian vote. That just wasn't something that people talked about very much. And then Jerry Falwell came along and started an organization called the Moral Majority. Hmm. Uh, and this was a real this was a real change for uh, Jerry Falwell because earlier he had written about ministers and marches and said, "Look, we shouldn't be involved in all these things." And that was kind of a reaction to the civil rights movement at the time. But he began to realize that if we're going to have an impact on the culture, Christians need to be involved politically. And so he started an organization called the Moral Majority. Uh, and because of the dissatisfaction with Jimmy Carter, because of economics and economics, as I think James Carville said, uh, you know, it's the economy, stupid. There may be lots of things that people don't, wouldn't agree with us on, on the social issues and so forth, but the bread and butter... You know, how much money are you taking home? What are you paying in taxes? What about, what about prices and so forth? People pay attention to that. Hmm. And that was an issue at the, in the late 1970s. And then, so Ronald Reagan came along as a conservative, spoke as a conservative, and spoke nominally as a Christian, and essentially wiped the floor uh, with Jimmy Carter in the 1980 election. Uh, and I think at that time... Uh, Jimmy Carter won, I think, maybe four, possibly five states, and uh, Ronald Reagan won all the rest of them. Uh, wow. and, uh, and so it was, it was a real landslide. And <laughs> yeah. Christians had a lot to do with this. They were a public voice, and they were offering themselves uh, to, to the political realm. Um, in 1980, Ronald Reagan spoke to a, a, a massive uh, gathering of pastors. I mean, th again, this is this was so new that to, to say that you know, uh, I don't know, five to ten thousand pastors would show up for a, a, a roundtable meeting in Dallas, Texas, in the 1980s, and hear a presidential candidate. That was something that was very, very new. Wow, uh, politically. So it was recognized that Christians did, in fact, have a have a, a a role to play politically. And so, but as I, I as this sweep that took place, this landslide that took place, I, I was living, wife and I were living in Georgia at the time. Um, we were originally from Pennsylvania, but from seminary, we moved to the Atlanta area. And we had a very conservative congressman uh, named Larry McDonald, uh, hmm. who was a Democrat, actually. Wow. And he was he was one of two Dr. No's uh, and he was a medical doctor and there was also Dr. Ron Paul hmm. and they were constitutionalists who 
who essentially said no to everything if it wasn't <laughs> constitutional. Yeah, wow. And as we, as I was watching uh, uh, this landslide taking place that evening of the election evening at a, at a hotel where Larry McDonald had had a, um, uh, a victory victory party, I, I, I just kind of hit me that most of these people who had voted thought that they had won the war and all they had done was they won a particular battle. One battle, mm, yeah. there's a huge, there's a war out there and they don't recognize this. Yes. And it was oftentimes, you know, very typical of Christians to say, you know, we won, we won, we won, we can go home now. Well, they, <laughs> yes, they, go back they, to they normal. Didn't, they didn't do it. Because in 1984, Ronald Reagan won again, and this time I think uh, I think Walter Mondale only got his home state of, of Minnesota. So it was even a bigger landslide. Hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I just began to feel that Christians need to understand government because yes. the last thing we as Christians want to do is to say we just we want to take over the government, <laughs> whatever power and authority the government has right now, we just want to Christianize it. Right. And so we would, all the agencies, the Christians would take them all over, and that was something <laughs> that I, you know, that the, that's not, that's neither a constitutional standard mm. nor a biblical standard. And yep. so that's why I sat down and wrote <clears throat> the, the first volume of God and Government in 1982. Wow. And so, so when you ask, when someone asks, you know, what are some of the steps we can take, real practical steps we can take? The first practical step we need to take is we need to get educated. Mm. Uh, yes. We, we need to know how things work. Uh, the, the politicians, these people, I mean, some people have been in, in I mean, here's, here's Joe Biden who has been in politics essentially all his life. <laughs> yep. uh, and there are, there are others there, Nancy Pelosi and many others, Schumer and so forth. These, some of these people have been there for more than 40 years. Hmm. And we have to we have to recognize that you know there are certain fundamental principles that have to be followed, and our goal isn't just to take over the government. This is something that's kind of a parody of what what Christians at least should believe. That's not what we're all about. Uh, but in order to to understand all this this, we need to be educated. What does the Bible? say about these issues? What does the Constitution say about these issues? Hmm. So the first practical step is, in fact, getting an education on these, these fundamentals. <clears throat> and, and so that's it. That's, that's the beginning part of this. And, and, and look, things have changed dramatically. I mean, again, you're, you're very young. You don't know. You know, when I was uh, you know, back back then, you, you basically had three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. Uh, you know, there's no Internet. Uh, you, had a daily, you had daily newspapers. Some, you know, some cities had a, a morning edition. Some people had a, an evening edition. I mean, New York at one time, I think, like had six different newspapers. Um, <laughs> wow. So in, in Pittsburgh, you had the, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in the morning, the Pittsburgh Press in the afternoon. So these were your news sources. This, this was it. Wow. Uh, and so... Getting involved politically at that particular period of time was, you know, somewhat different from what it is today. Um, and the, the the left, I always tell people, the left never quits. They they lose a battle, they're going to come back and they're going to, you know, they're going to regroup and come back even stronger the next time. 
And a lot of conservatives and Christians included just don't don't know how to win. They mm. they if they lose an election, they say, "Well, we did our best. We're going to go home, and there's nothing we can do about about <laughs> anything. There's not a dime dime's worth of difference between the two parties." So, uh, so so the, so the first part is educational, and the, and the second the second part is organizational. Uh, that you have to be organized in a way to know how the system works, so that if you're going to get involved politically, you you you've got to figure out. What can be done at the at the local level, your city level, county level, and state level? Because that's really the basic of, basics of politics. Mm. And uh, and then to when you get involved politically, what? Okay, now what do we do? What these people we elect to office? What should they be doing? Right. And, yep. and that's one thing we really haven't won uh, because both political parties are are oftentimes in in this for the for the politics and and. The, the power and and the and the money, uh, and so and again we don't put enough pressure on these people, uh, but I, I think that's beginning to change. I think mm. because of the, yeah. the new direction in social media and what's available today, uh, we're we're able to do an end run around the media, and, and, and by the way, the media has always been you know somewhat liberal in in, in this area. They've uh, very rarely would you would you call them uh, you know siding with Republicans. That just wasn't the case. I mean, even even Fox News is something is something new. CNN is relatively new as well. Um, and, and, but what's happening in terms of social media, uh, like what you're doing and what others are doing, where I think we're making an impact. So you've got to get ed- you know ed- education, organization are the I think the two uh, f- fund- fundamentals, and then you had a third one, participation. You have to be actively involved in what's happening. In, in our culture, and we're we're mm. seeing this a little bit with a lot of these school boards where parents have finally said, "We just we're fed up with this," <laughs> and yep. uh, they've they've made a significant they've made a significant impact. So um, th- those are those are the, the the three legs of the necessary you know stool that's out there, the political stool in order to get involved. Nice. That's yeah. <laughs> that's really good stuff. That is that is really good stuff. I'm. I'm not even going to add to that. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I had here to, to discuss a little bit of the synthetic worldview that you mentioned on page 234, um, at least in the, the version that I have in it. You know, it, I think it fits in really well to this discussion. Well, I said I wasn't going to add to it, but here I am adding to it. So, oh, well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that synthetic worldview. I mean, you, you said a synthetic worldview attempts to mix the Christian worldview with some elements of the humanistic worldview. Um and that's, I mean, that's definitely what we're seeing. And it sounds like that was what you were seeing with, you know, the Carter administration where, I mean, they, he was probably just, you know, flat out claiming it so that he would get the vote and wasn't actually Christian. But, you know, that whole idea where it's like, well, okay, they're Christian. It's, it's like rhinos for Christians, right? Christian in name only, essentially, where they don't understand what a Christian worldview actually looks like. And we're going to be getting into that when we talk about the literature. Yeah, and look, I, I think a lot of it is, uh, is that Christians, it's one of the things I'll be speaking on at this, this conference in, in South Dakota. A lot of Christians uh, aren't educated. They, mm. they, have, they have a number of cliches that they hold on to. Like they'll say, well, Jesus didn't get mixed up in politics, so why should I get mixed <laughs> up in politics? Jesus said we're not supposed to judge, so we can't judge anyone. There's a separation between church and state. Politics <laughs> yep. is dirty. 
Uh, we must obey the civil magistrate no matter what takes place. Um, uh, you can't impose your morality on, on other people. <laughs> Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, we're living in the last days. So you can, <laughs> you've heard you a lot can, of these. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and that's, that's the point. You, you've, you've heard a lot of these, and a lot of people use these as, an, as excuses as to why they, they shouldn't get involved. Mm. Uh, and they think that they're being Christian and biblical you know, by, by making those claims. And as a result, they, they don't get involved. And then, of course, the one, the, you know, the big one that isn't necessarily a, a, a biblical explanation, but there's not a dime's, uh, dime's worth of difference between the two parties. Well, there is a difference between the two parties. But even if there weren't a difference between the two parties, the point is to be involved to make sure there's a difference between the two parties. Hmm. But you have to understand that the role of civil, of civil government in Scripture is very limited. Yep. And the same is true of the Constitution of the United States. So not only must you understand what the Bible has to say about jurisdictional separation as, and jurisdictional limitations, but you have to understand the Constitution itself. And the Constitution isn't a very long document. And the reason it's not a very long document is because it only granted a certain number of powers to the national government hmm. and left the rest of them to the, to the states. And if the yes. states didn't have those powers, they were left to the people. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate a lot, a lot of Christians uh, lo like free stuff. They, they, <laughs> they like the government yes. to, do, to do things for them. Yes. Uh, and as a result, we don't make an impact because we're, we're synthetic. We, 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 you know, we say, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe we should get involved in politics, but we need to take care of the poor, and if we're going to take care of the poor, we need to, do, we need to be taxed more so we, the government can get, take this money and take <laughs> care of the poor. Yeah, but instead of the church with education, doing it. You know, yeah. the, the, the Department of Education, the National Federal Department of Education, uh, didn't exist until Jimmy Carter's administration, wow. and it had to be voted on. Into, by Republicans as well, hmm. and yet we, you know, we, uh, we 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 sent men to the moon before we had a, <laughs> a, a federal department of education. Yeah, uh, we we never needed a federal department of education. You got the, you got the city of Baltimore uh, that probably spends more money per capita on students, and yet mm -hmm. has the worst you know uh, uh, rankings. In terms of academics, hmm. uh, yep. money money isn't yeah, money I isn't the just issue. Saw and an then, of article course, you know, over the weekend, yeah. somebody suing Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, because their kid graduated from high school and can't read. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that and see that that's the, the two things that that government officials advocate, and a lot too many people fall for it is give us more power, give us more money, and we'll fix things. Mm. Uh, they create the problem in the first place. Why would you then turn <laughs> to give them more power and more money yes. to try to fix what th they caused as, as the, the, the problem? I always tell p parents, I said, look, get, get, a, get a set of McGuffey's readers and, <laughs> and, and have your children read the McGuffey's readers yes. and, and find out where they are on the academic scale. Mm. Yep, and uh, you know, Dr. Gary North used to tell the story about a law professor who had his students uh, read out of of uh, out of McGuffey's readers some of the legal issues in there, and they could not understand what was being read. I think some of it wow. was Blackstone's writings. Okay, uh, so you know, there's so much there's so much wrong out there. Yes. That the, the way you change those things is not by giving more power and more money to the national <laughs> yes. government. That is, 
we take we take responsibility for these things in in the area of education, for example. Yep. Yep. And uh, you want to change the society, and and the Roman Catholic Church understood this a long, long time ago, um, where they would always have schools associated with their with the diocese, with the parish. Hmm. And uh, I, I grew up Roman Catholic, and so Saint Gabriel's had had Saint Gabriel's school, and then you know they the, the population of that area grew so much that they ended up with a with, with another parish, and that was Saint Gabriel Saint Gabriel's, and they had a school. Uh, you, you you don't find that with Protestants today. They you know it's not that they don't have schools, they just don't have them and think in, in terms of how Roman Catholics understood education. They believed, hey, if you're gonna if if, if you're really gonna change the, the world according according to your, your religion, you've got to do the education. You can't turn it over to the state yep. in order to do yep. that. Exactly. So they understand it better than us. And the Dutch did the same thing. If you go up to a city like Grand Rapids, Michigan. You'll drive by these schools and you say, "Oh, that's a beautiful public school." Well, they weren't public schools; they were, they were, they were private schools that uh, the Dutch, that's that's who settled in that area, you know, built those schools because wow. they wanted their children to, you know, to learn in terms of the worldview that they were teaching at that time. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a really great point, and I'm really excited to get into a little bit more of that worldview stuff as well. But I, I did want to just briefly um, touch on something that I, I you know. We've had this debate on the show a couple times between the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation. Um, Jake and I have had those, you know, debates numerous times. We read a portion in your book, uh, the first volume that that touched on that, so that kind of sparked that as well. But you know, I I really just wanted to get your take on the key differences between the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation, and in addition, which document you think would be best to try and get back to. Obviously, we're, we're very far, we're far away from both at this point. <laughs> um, but in, a, in an idealistic world, what should we be reaching for as the ideal? Well, historically, the representatives were sent to Philadelphia to amend the Articles of Confederation. They were not sent to uh, put together a brand new constitution. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, because what had happened was is that the Articles of, Confedera- Articles of Confederation did not give enough um, national power to the f- to the federal to the national government? Yep. So when you you know went up against um, you went up against Great Britain, uh, there there was there was no national way to to bring forces against against uh, Great Britain in this case, and so they saw that as a weakness mm. of the Articles of Confederation. I'm not sure it was a weakness, but right. that's that's all in, in hindsight. But they did, in fact, understand that the uh, that the national government needed to be limited in its power and authority. Uh, the other thing the Articles of Confederation did it did not begin with "we the people." It didn't begin with these, this idea that uh, we're essentially a pure democracy. Although the Constitution itself doesn't really lend itself to a pure democracy, but the highest authority in the Constitution of the United States uh, is, is in fact, we the people, hmm. uh, the we the people generally. Uh, and, but the Articles of Confederation did, it was, it was more theistic than the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the United States, while it still has elements of a Christian worldview in it, limited government, 
uh, jurisdictional separation uh, with, between at least the national government and the state governments in the First Amendment has certain freedoms spelled out, enumerated powers. That was that was the case mm. as well. Yep. Uh, it says it's done in the year of our Lord, 1,787. Uh, uh, it, it the President of the United States <clears throat> essentially has Sunday off in terms of uh, uh, accepting or vetoing legislation. He has 10 days in which to sign, sign a bill into, off, uh, into, into law. Sunday's accepted. You have... Uh, Gold and silver to pay pay for debts. Uh, two witnesses, two to three witnesses in terms of trial, in terms of treason. So there are elements mm. of the Christian worldview in there. Yeah, but um, but fundamentally, it starts with we the people. There's no greater source of authority than the people generally. Mm. And yep. uh, so that was one. That was one of the big flaws. That was one of the things that Gary North uh, had written about in his book, Political Polytheism. Uh, he just he saw this as a coup. It was the Articles of Confederation were supposed to be amended and updated. There wasn't supposed to be a brand new constitution. Yeah, but at the same, but at the same time, if you go back and look and say, "We the people," say, "Okay, well, if we the people were in fact Christians who understood the Constitution and the directives from the Bible regarding the limitations of, of, of political power and constitutional power, that wouldn't have mattered so much." And and I and I'm not I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that putting all those types of things into the Constitution would have mattered because there are lots of things in the Constitution right now that people who take an oath to uphold the Constitution don't, don't pay any attention to. Mm. Yep. Uh, you, you, you can't have a, you can't have a, a, a bill that's you know, 2,700 pages long that essentially you know, expands the power of, of the federal government right. when probably 98% of what's, what's in it is contrary you know, to to the Constitution itself. I mean, you, you know, here Israel, Israel had God's law, all the specifics of God's law. That was no guarantee that they were going to keep that law. So that that's why my God and you did first first volume of God and government. That's why it begins with uh, God as a governor of all things, and then the most more important government under that is the self government. Yep. You, you want to change a society, you you yourself have to change and there have to be enough people to change in order to make fundamental changes uh, nationally and so that's those those are important features and look that that's hard to do you you got pastors in the church who just isn't you know just aren't going to talk on these things number one they don't know what to talk about about these things and number two they don't want controversy in their church because there are probably different political affiliations in their own church and if they're if the church isn't paid you know paid for you got a third of your congregation that walks away, then you're left holding the you know the note on on the, on the <laughs> building that has been paid. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Joe, you you had something to add? Yeah. Since we're on the topic of Articles of Confederation and um, Constitution, have you heard of what a Convention of States is? Oh yeah, yeah. Mark Levin has been pushing the Convention mm -hmm. of States. So, but with that um, idea in mind, is that do you think that if we did a convention of states today, it would pretty much be the exact same thing as back when they were supposed to just amend the Articles of Confederation that they got the new or the Constitution? Do you think that would happen again? Do you think? Well, again, I, that that's that's the problem. I mean, we it happened the first time, hmm. uh, yeah. and what guarantee? What guarantee do we have? Uh, that w we could make these these fundamental changes. I mean, who, who first of all, 
who do you who do you trust to do this? That's number one. Who do you trust? Right. Who, who out there uh, from our camp is qualified to do that? We probably find quite a few people who are qualified. Number three, you've got uh, you got rhinos who want you know their particular perspective in there who wouldn't want some of these people involved. They want someone like Ron Paul in, in, in involved in it. I I, I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, someone like uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Mark Levin, for example. <laughs> what you know? Who who would actually go there? Who would represent the states uh, in, in, in all of this? And so, unless we got fifty states, uh, and you're okay. So the liberal states. Let's just look by point of fact. Liberal states are going to push a liberal agenda, and every representative that's going to be sent to this uh, this con this con new constitutional convention. They're going to be very liberal, uh, you know. So think about your particular state. Who would you send? And then you got to think about some of these purple states. Who? Uh, I mean, you've got look. You've got the uh, the, the the governor of, of Maryland. Uh, the governor yeah. of Maryland is a Republican, and he blasted Ron DeSantis over this 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 bill that their House and Senate passed, and he signed into law. And he just condemned the whole thing and even admitted he hadn't even read it yet. So there, you know, who, who's who's going to make it there? Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, and to, and to make these fundamental changes. Uh, yep. I don't know. They've got a lot of Republicans out there, supposed conservative. You got here. You got Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity <laughs> attacks this uh, a Supreme Court nominee because she won't define what a woman is. Uh, and because she says she's not a biologist, <laughs> right. and yet he's extolling uh, the the, um, the the virtues of, of Fox News uh, by having Bruce Jenner yeah. on the show yep. and acknowledging him as a she. Yep. Yep. Uh, exactly. So, so here here you go with. Would you trust Sean Hannity? Yeah, I, I wouldn't trust Sean Hannity. Yep. And I don't know if I I don't know where Mark Levin is on this topic. You've got a lot of libertarians uh, when it comes to homosexuality, transgenderism and yeah. abortion are They're not on out. our side. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Really, uh, really good points. Yeah. Thank you. I, I wish we had more time to keep discussing some of this, but, uh, we do have to move on. So <laughs> thank you very much for your input on that. Um, there were definitely a few, we'll have to have you on back uh, again sometime. And I'd love for Jake to be here as well, because we we've had some really interesting discussions on, um, constitution versus articles of confederation a lot of times it, it especially went back to taxation because the constitution allowed for, you know, federal taxation on that level. Whereas the articles of confederation, you know, levies. Well, well you have to remember now that the, the income tax amendment was not part of the original, mm. uh, not part of the original constitution. I mean, right. And they, they, the people were snookered on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, but it did open tax. it did open it the door to that eventually. Yeah, it won't affect us because only the rich people were going to be <laughs> uh, affected by it all. Right. And it wasn't it wasn't that much. And so and once we got off the gold standard and we just started printing money yeah. and everybody's everybody's supposed wealth went up in numbers and now they're part of the they're part of the you know the rich the, the rich now and they're being taxed in ways that they were it wasn't sold to the people that way. Only the rich people were going to pay this, yeah. this tax. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, That's so. a good point. Yep, definitely. Cool. Um, all right, so kind of switching gears here. 
we, we <laughs> have you on, so I figured we'd take full advantage of it and cover every topic possible. So <laughs> Okay. Um, so <laughs> shifting gears to kind of, um, you know, people have really strong reactions when they hear words like theonomy or post-millennialism. Um, and I, the question, I think, in, in our circles is, why do people have these sorts of reactions? I, I know growing up, I've always wondered that. Why, what is it that they, they think they hear when they hear theonomy or post-millennialism? Um, and then how do we change their perceptions and maybe like address those negative stereotypes? How do we understand that and, and combat it? Well, I, I, I try not to use code words that we're, we bring up and we develop and, and, and uh, we define. I, I just always think, thought that was kind of a, a mistake. I know why people do it. You know, when Greg Bonson wrote his book, Theonomy and Christian Ethics, he wasn't, he wasn't, he, his attempt wasn't to start a movement and to name it, you know, theonomy, and that, but it just ended up that way. Same thing with Christian Reconstruction. You know, the journal Christian Reconstruction came out, and so it was like, you now we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna deal with with, with Reconstructionism and, and, yep. and theonomy. Yeah. Um, and but, I, but it's probably kind of inevitable. No matter what you do, that's that sort of <laughs> takes place. Yeah. But it becomes a shorthand for stereotyping. Hmm. Uh, yep. And uh, that's, I think, a, a huge mistake because what people do is they hear the word theonomy and then someone defines it very narrow, narrowly and inaccurately. Hmm. And they say, oh, that's what that is. And so when they hear <laughs> the word, they immediately attach the definition that they got yes. to it. Yeah, without researching uh, so, it further yeah. or looking it up. Yeah. And, and post-millennialism, post I don't use post-millennialism because uh, it's, the whole, all the millennial issues uh, are are built on Revelation chapter 20, which I don't believe is describing mm. either pre-mill, post-mill, probably the all-mills have it more because it's, it's not describing what you and I think of what a millennium would be. Uh, and so you want to start, start talking about the kingdom of God, that's, that's a little different. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you want to talk about... Um, uh, you know, th you know, theonomy. You talk about, uh, you know, apply. I always say applying all of God's word to all of life. Yes. And then people come and say, "Well, what about this law?" And I said, "Well, that's obviously uh, you, you, when you apply all the Bible to all of life. Uh, also includes within the New Testament changes in the law that are mm. very, very specific. Yep. You read the Book of Hebrews and so forth and so on. Yes. So th that gives you a better opportunity to e explain things. And uh, I wrote three chapters in the book Theonomy and an Informed Response, where I demonstrated that long long before Theonomy became uh, a, a, an issue, that there were reform writers who were uh, talking about applying the Bible to all areas of life. Mm. And and uh, and it's amazing how many you know there were who, who who were doing that. Yes. And if you went into a church today, you went into a charismatic church today or Baptist church and said. The pastor got up in the, in, in the pulpit and said, you know, we, we as Christians should be applying all the Bible to all of life. And I bet you, I would assume uh, that the majority of people will say, that's right, pastor, that's right. <laughs> now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute, what about this law and that law? And then the pastor gets up there and he, he attempts mm. to explain how that yep. law 
whether it's changed or not, or where there's a principal approach to it and so forth and so on. Yes. Uh, so that's the kind of the philosophy I've taken yep. is to, uh, uh, you know, let's apply all the Bible to all of life. And look, even liberals, even liberals do this. How many times have you, have you seen liberals go to the Bible to apply the Bible <laughs> to, to, to their view? They, they think the Bible teaches socialism. Hillary Clinton, when she uh, when she was asked what the most important book was, she said the Bible was. <laughs> uh, and of course, they they cherry pick it, but you know a lot yep. of Christians cherry pick it too. Yep. Uh, so I I'm I'm for not using those types of phrases. Um, yep. And just getting to you know applying the Bible to all of life. I don't use post millennialism. Uh, I just I talk about you know just eschatology in general. And then have to deal with the specific views of eschatology, and then see if they comport with what Scripture has to say. And that that takes that takes time. But if you all if you already go in there and say, "Well, I'm I'm a post-millennialist," well, you've just immediately put up barriers for lots of people. First of all, many mm. of them have no idea what that means. Uh, so you you really have to articulate for people the specifics of these various positions. You never start with post-millennialism. You have to start with prophetic passages that determining whether those prophetic passages relate to events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, or do they pertain to, to, to something else? And that's where I always start. People say they want to come and talk on post-millennialism. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'll come and talk about <laughs> these other Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, you know, parts of the book of Revelation and so forth in order to lay out for people a, kind of a, a, a more nuanced perspective that they probably haven't heard before, which then, which and I was, I have a little thing about clearing the prophetic or the eschatological chessboard. You got you. you there's something in the things you got to clear off the table, clear off the board before you can start talking about uh, kind of an optimistic eschatology, because people will say, well, Revo, I mean, Matthew 24 talks about rumors and rumors, wars and rumors of wars and famines and. Uh, uh, beasts and antichrist and so <laughs> forth. So you got to deal with all those first yeah. before you can deal with the the broader concepts of eschatology, especially the so-called millennial views. That's a really good point. Yeah, and you know, uh, Joe and I have had those discussions as well, talking about you know, the we use these terms and everybody has different connotations attached to them, um, and instead of going you know bullheaded into the conversation and just throwing that term, I'm this, you know, um, actually explaining, well, here's what I believe and here's the biblical passage that I'm drawing this from and th this is why I believe this. Um, it's yeah, just, well, just approach. telling, you know, just so, say, hey, before we get into this discussion, we need to define our terms. Mm, yeah, uh, and that's, that's, that's important as well because yep. you can start talking past one another. I said, oh, I, no, I was using that word to mean this and not, right. no, I was using <laughs> this word to mean that. Yes. So what you yes. want to do is, start, you know, you want to start with defining your your terms as to make sure you're talking about the same thing. So, oh, I didn't know that that's what that that position believed. I was always told it believed. You know, those people believe that. Say, yep. no, no, no. That's not what it, that's what not what it teaches at all. Yep. Uh, so, there, and, and look, I've been doing this a long time, and <laughs> and uh, I'm 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 imparting my wisdom to you <laughs> on how not to do things and a better approach with all of this. And yes. I have a little saying. It is mine. Uh, I don't know anyone else who has said it, but 
don't give anyone a reason to reject your position other than the position itself. Mm. Which so so you don't become the issue. Yep. Number one and number two, you need to define what what you're talking about so you yep. can so you know that you're talking about the same thing. Right. Uh, because a lot of I think of disagreements come about because you start talking about post millennialism, and people start they already have a view in their mind about what post millennialism <laughs> is, and then you start talking about post millennialism, but it's not what they think. It's not what they think it is, yep. and then you 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 know you lose them right at the start. Yes, yes, they immediately go into defensive mode and just oh right. I heard that word now I'm going to put up you know go into the turtle shell and just start defending without actually right. hearing. Yep, yep, absolutely. Wow, that that was that was really good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, go ahead, Joe. I got a question right before we yeah. get into the liter- literature segment. Um, what we heard your and. What inspired you to write volume uh, God in Government Volume One? But what inspired you to continue writing the God in mm, Government good series, question. Uh, Volume Two and Volume Three? Uh, now that's a funny story. <laughs> um, I have a, I have a good friend Archie Jones, uh, who really is an expert on the Constitution, separation of church and state. In fact, he has a, a dissertation that's about eight hundred pages just on the First Amendment. Uh, that he's uh, wow. It needs to be, can be. It needed to be completely retyped because he wrote it at a time when it was a completely different software program, and it can't be. It couldn't be modified or changed or transferred. Oh man! So anyway, so 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 Archie. Um, remember, I wrote this in 1982. I just graduated from seminary in, in 1979, and uh, so I was I was kind of I was kind of out on a limb a bit with a lot of things. Uh, and so I sent the first draft to Archie. And so Archie said, Gary, you need to cover this. 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 this." So I did all that. And then I sent it back to him again. He said, well, now you need to cover this, this, this. That was volume two. Wow. And so when I finished volume two, after his suggestions, Hmm. uh, I sent volume two to him. And he said, you now you need to cover this, this, and this, and this. And that's how I got volume three. Wow. Wow. Uh, so that 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 is that's the simple answer to it all yeah. is that uh, Archie said I needed to cover more stuff, <laughs> and uh, that's I might have I might have done it anyway, but uh, Archie was the catalyst for you know for it, uh, and I, I I did Gary North had come up with this five point covenant model, uh, which if you actually read the God and Government series it does kind of follow within that mold, mm. you know, like, you know, who's, who's in charge to whom do I report? That would be the representatives of the person in charge. What's the law? What happens if you break the law? Good and good and bad. And does this outfit have a future eschatology? So all of that, that those three, those three volumes, which is now in one hardback volume, mm-hmm. they lay that, that principle out it starts with the sovereignty of God and man's understanding or man's role under the sovereignty of God. Then the application of God's law to every area of life, the positive and negative sanctions, and then it ends with the eschatological aspect of of it all. That's very cool. Yeah, good question, Joe. A lot of good information. Absolutely. Um, Well, speaking of that, it is about time to move on to the literature segment. And we're going to try and keep this. I, I had a lot more discussion topics as backup questions, which would have been cool to get to, but we'll have to do them in another episode with Gary sometime. That would be very cool. Um, so we, you know, moving on to the literature segment, you know, we read 
God and Government Volume 2 this month. Um, we're reading that this month. This is our first episode with Volume 2, so we read Chapters 1 and 2. Um, and just to kind of kick things off, I'm using this, if you're watching us instead of listening to us, I have my hard copy here. Um, I, you actually sent me that copy, Gary, so thank you very much for that. really appreciate it. Um, but uh, so the page numbers that I reference are for the hard copy. So if you're trying to look up the page numbers and you're like, what, what are you talking about? There's not 200 pages in this book. Where 205, what is this? It's in the hard copy. So, um, and Joe has the, has the paperback version. So, um, so I probably should have conferred with you to get some of these like <laughs> actual page references. But we did notice actually there were some differences between the hard copy and the paperback in terms of the content. Um, and some of the graphics and stuff were, was a little different. So, um, but anyways, moving on, I have, let's see, what, what is it? Four different topics that I want to get to, and we'll just briefly touch on each of these. But these two chapters really spoke to worldviews. Um, you know, what they are, the importance of having the correct one, what a biblical worldview looks like, all of that kind of stuff. And this actually goes really well with our last book, which was always ready by Dr. Greg Bonson, because um, we were talking about presuppositions and worldviews and all of that. So this is kind of just a continuation of that, which is really cool. And I, I really appreciated some of the ways that you stated this. So I'm going to be drawing out a lot of quotes and, and kind of tying those in. So the, my first point, you know, worldviews are comprehensive and universal. And I have, I have two quotes um, that I really think you know, sum this up pretty well. You said on page 205 that worldviews are governed by your assumptions about the world in which you live. And, you know, that's our presuppositions kind of mm -hmm. that, that we were talking about uh, last month. These assumptions or presuppositions are first principles of interpretation that give meaning to every fact or idea that enters your mind, end quote. Um, and uh, your second quote was, you know, that the Christian should evaluate all life in terms of God's word, not just those certain aspects of reality he considers important. So, um, so I thought that was really interesting talking about the, the comprehensiveness of your worldview. It needs to be all encompassing all areas of life. And, and we were kind of discussing that a little bit earlier in terms of civil government is part of life. So it needs to be part of our worldview. We need to know what the Bible talks about that or, or says to that. So, uh, and by the way, Feel free to interject, Gary, at any time if you have something to add or you want to expound on it, feel free. So, Well, the, you know, the thing, what we have to understand is one of the things that Greg Bonson makes clear is that there's no neutrality. Yes. Uh, uh, that er everybody has a worldview. Yep. Uh, every, yep. Everybody has an eschatology. Everybody has a view of law. Every, everybody has a law, of, a, a view of economics, and it's based upon where those, where do those principles come from? Ultimately, where do those principles to evaluate all these things come from? What, what is their origin? And then the, the, the second part of all that is how does one account for those fundamental principles that they're using in the development of their worldview? And then thirdly, how then you, you start giving these people power, they're going to implement that worldview on you. Yes. So for, for the Christian to claim neutrality that we, well, we can't get involved <laughs> because, you know, we're supposed to be neutral right. in all this. It's just impossible. Yep. You, you can't, the, 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 the most, the biggest leftist, unbelieving, atheistic person out there, evolutionist, is, is not neutral. Yes. They, they, they are going to, they are going to build their worldview based upon those, those operating assumptions. There's a fellow right now. Uh, I, I know his middle name, Noah Harari, 
who, who he's a professor at the uh, in, in Jerusalem, uh, and uh, this guy is a rabid materialist uh, who works with this Klaus Schwab, who's you know part mm. of this whole reset deal. Yep. yep. And you you read his stuff, it's the mirror image of a, of, a, of a Christian worldview. It's mm. you know there's a fundamental set of principles that we must <laughs> abide by. Yep. Um, and you know, it gives gives the basis for a, for a, for a morality, and it, just, it goes on and on and on. He talks about uh, you know this is the way that we should re uh, re uh, read the the Declaration of Independence. We are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, th- these guys are not neutral. They yep. they are they have a worldview like the rest of us. Yes. Uh, yes. And, well, I should say because a lot of Christians don't have a Christian worldview. They mm. they have a synthetic worldview. Yep. They have a general idea that yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Uh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But if you were to t- if you were to sit down with a Christian and talk to them about uh, uh, starting from Genesis and going to the Book of Revelation, outline for me what constitutes a biblical worldview. <laughs> And include in that um, uh, family, uh, business, uh, economics, uh, g- government. Uh, you know, g- you, you go down the list of things. You know, what 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 does the Bible s- say about ju- the jurisdictional separation between church and state, which mm. is a real thing? Yeah. Where, where would where would you go to determine um, what the Bible says about inflation? Does the Bible address the topic of inflation at all? Mm. What about private property? All, all of yep. these things, and, and and generally, you know, Christians might say, "Well, the Bible does say you sh- you shall not steal," uh, and then say, "Well, what if I get fifty one percent of the of people to vote to to take to say it's okay <laughs> to take money from some people and give it to other people? What about that? Is, does thou shalt not steal?" mean thou shalt not steal except if you get 51% of the vote that says that you can put people in power to steal from some people and give it to other people. Mm, yep. uh, so, so most Christians don't have a, uh, a comprehensive worldview. They, yep. they wouldn't know how to put it all together if, even if they did. And, they, and a lot of the things that they would, would try to implement uh, are, a, are things that are borrowed from the, the unbelieving worldview because much of it is based upon uh, emotion. Oh, how would we take care of poor people? How would we take care of the sick? As if <laughs> yeah. there are only two ways to do this. Right. Or, or actually only one way you know, to do this. Yep. Uh, and, and the so civil government doesn't do it. How could we possibly account for that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. And, and it comes down to how does one account for the worldview that they have? Of course, mm. unbelievers ca- cannot... Um, Remain consistent with the operating assumptions of their worldview. This is extremely mm, important. Yes, uh, they have to borrow from the Christian worldview <laughs> yes. in order to maintain their worldview. Because yep. while they maintain that D, as Richard Dawkins says, DNA neither knows nor cares. We just dance to its music. <laughs> well, if someone someone's DNA says that it's okay to kill Richard Dawkins and steal his stuff, <laughs> Richard Dawkins is going to say, no, no, no. There are certain moral values that we've all kind of agreed on over the years. Pedal on that. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's where we are. And this is and this was Greg's Greg Bonson's you know uh, contribution to all mm, of this. Yes, is that you. You you point out their operating assumptions, uh, which you get from their own, their own material. Force them to live consistently with them, and then don't allow them to borrow from the Christian worldview in order to prop up their very deficient worldview. Mm. 
Uh, and so not just in the area of, of apologetics, but also in the area of government. You, yep. It's the same thing. Yep. What, where do you get the basic fundamental principles in order to, to do this, to come up with this particular policy? No one's, look, these, these re Republicans um, and, uh, and so a lot of good Republicans, they can't argue uh, biblically and all this. Of course, they'd be, be laughed out of, of Congress if they did. But they, they're not arguing that way. They're, they're arguing on the premise that there's, there's a kind of common ground between you know Christians and non-Christians on this topic, uh, I don't know if you've been following this event that took place at Yale Law School uh, last month, month in, in March of 2022, where an atheist from a humanist society and a Christian from a from Alliance of Defending Freedom got you know uh, were were involved in a in a, in a discussion about how uh, these two these two very different worldviews can agree on fundamental rights about uh, freedom of speech. Well, there were like 120 law students who just shouted them both down. How in the world, <laughs> wow. they said, could you have somebody like somebody from the Alliance Defending Freedom up here and to, dis and to, and to discuss, with, discuss this with? And by the way, the people in the audience were much more consistent than the humanist was, because they 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 began to see why why would you why would you allow this Christian over here, even though this, this Christian agreed with you on this particular fundamental premise, why would you allow this person in here mm. to give that person any any sort of notoriety uh, uh, about it all? And yes. the, 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 the 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 Christian look I, look I know how this works. And ADF is a great great organization. I don't want to say anything wrong about it, but I, I would have liked her to say to the atheist you're an atheist you don't believe in god you're a materialist how do you account for the for the for any type of liberty any type of liberty hmm. and how, yep. how can you how can you defend any type of liberty and then how can you then come up and oppose somebody who wants to take away someone's liberty within the context of your worldview how can you do that yes and yes. that I would have loved to have seen it and I would have asked <laughs> the same people in the these 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 shouters and so forth who wanted literally wanted to fight, you know, punch wow. one of these one of these people out. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, hey, you're right. Within the materialistic worldview, it would be okay to come up here and punch this person out. <laughs> yeah. And but see, it would also be given your operating assumptions for me to you know to punch you out as well. <laughs> right. see, and so, yeah. on what basis now do we even consider that anything makes any sense to anyone? Hmm. Yep. Yep. Really, really good point. Yeah, and thank you for illustrating that too and tying it in. You know, we, we talked a, a lot about hypothetical, um, philosophical and epistemological ideas with Bonson's book. And it was um, near the end of the month, we were trying to tie it to illustrations to, <laughs> so that people could help, you know, try and break some of these concepts down. So I, I think you did a really good job breaking that down and tying that into a lot of different areas. So um, neat. Well, you know, my, my next point, at least one of the big topics that I drew from these two chapters was that there are really only two primary worldviews. And I have three quotes that, uh, that I found here. Um, one was from page 200. Uh, and I thought this was really interesting. You said Satan intended to overturn God's moral order by convincing Adam and Eve that God's view of his world was only one view among many, right? And that's something that the pluralistic, we, we hear about that a lot, you know, oh, it's just right. one worldview amongst a whole bunch of other just equally as valid worldviews. Um, 
And that was the original lie. That was Satan's original lie was, ah, it's just one potential option you could go for if you wanted to, you know? <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, page 201, you said, if man's dependence on God for knowledge is considered optional, then God's view of the world is also considered optional. But, you know, if our, if our fundamental standard, our, our primary foundation is not the word of God, if that's just optional, then God's view of the world is also optional. You know, everything's up in the air at that point. Um, so I, th- I thought that was really interesting. And, there, and, and then to extend that is everybody's, everybody's worldview. You take God out of the picture everybody's worldview is optional mm, and it, yep. it becomes who's ever in power at that time. Yes, exactly. Makes the determination of what's, what's right or wrong without any necessary, necessary limits on them. Mm, uh, and yep. you can, you can, you can see these, these various cultures that become very author, authoritarian. Uh, they're dictating just exactly the way you ought to believe. And if you don't believe that way, like yes. look at China, what's happening today. Yep. The idea of social credit. You don't yeah. have this particular social credit. You're not going to have the necessary freedoms. And here in the United States, of course, it's the same. It's very similar. Yeah, we're working towards you, that. Yeah, yep. you can get booted off, you know, some some site because, well, you you said that this <laughs> this person here who identifies as a woman is in fact a man, and uh, you just can't you can't say that. So therefore, you've lost your spot on our platform. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so, so there, there's 19, you know, there's 1984. Yeah. Uh, George or- Orwell's 1984. By you know, so how many fingers do I hold? Am I holding up here? And and uh, you you know you look at the fingers and they say, well, you're holding. Up. I forget how many it was in actual in the book. But uh, the, 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 the guy forcing you to say something different from mm. how many fingers are up there, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying yep. to maintain that, yeah, we, everybody knows you're not a biologist. I mean, you, don't, you can't define what a woman <laughs> is. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what uh, Marsha Blackburn, I wish she would have asked, well, are you a woman? Yeah, I mean, right. You, yep. Are you a woman? Yep. And if she said, well, yes, I am. I said, well, how do you know? On what basis are you a woman? See, this is... This is what needs to be done, uh, and that many Christians aren't equipped to do it. And that is, uh, and we published a book called Pushing the Antithesis, forcing Mm. the unbelieving worldview, those who hold this unbelieving worldview, to live consistently with the operating assumptions of that worldview. Yes. And Christians aren't taught to do that. Too many many Christians in in the realm of apologetics is to believe that there's common ground and you argue, or you argue with people on the basis of what things you hold in common yes, and then offer the best basis of your worldview <laughs> based upon that commonality right. issue. Starting from and their Bonson, position. And Bonson just tore into that and yep. just said, that, absolutely not. Now, he, he never said that people weren't acting normal, moral, uh, and that they couldn't do math and they couldn't, they, they're not logical. It's just that they couldn't account for those things given mm. their operating assumptions. Yep. Well, the same thing happens in government. Uh, here, you know, um, B- B- Biden is, you know, he's going to say, oh, well, I'll, I'm going to help solve this oil problem by um, releasing a million barrels a day on, on oil reserves that are actually saved for emergency. So, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You do that. That means all the, all the companies out there have well, wells. Uh, now that I have to compete with oil flooding the market, thus lowering the price and, mm. the, and, the, and the difficulty it takes, the, the 
price it, it is in order to get this this oil out of the ground. Yeah. You see, you you again, you push these people to under to to live consistently with that. Don't you know what you're doing when you do that? Or there's this one company. If you buy their shoes, they give another they give another pair of shoes uh, to some uh, poor poor country, somebody in a poor country. But, oh, isn't that great? That's nice and sweet. Problem is, I assume a, a shoe manufacturer in that company now has to compete with free shoes. Hmm. Uh, so all of these things have consequences, and we as Christians need to start being able to think through these issues so that we're not snookered by high high sounding uh, yes you know we're we're here to help you we're from the right. government we're here to help you <laughs> right yeah absolutely and you know i i think on those along those same lines um you segue brilliantly into this next point um you know what a biblical worldview actually looks like like what what does this look like we we should be using this as our foundation but what is that lens um and I have a quote. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I think it's really, really good. And you wrote this on page 207. Um, it says, for, for many, the Bible merely imparts spiritual truth with little to say about secular matters, things pertaining to this age. And, you know, a couple months ago, Joe, we were talking about the, the sacred and the secular. People like to separate those. But it all belongs to Christ. You know, that Cornelius Van Til quote that we use, if you don't push the crown rights of, of our King Jesus into every realm, we won't have them in any realm. Um, but uh, continuing with the quote, it's important to understand that the Bible does not divide life between sacred and secular. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, which is Matthew 6, verse 10. Uh, and all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. And again, that was from page 207. So, you know, it needs to be, and this falls back into our comprehensive, right? This is, it's not, we can't just separate and say, well, that's a secular matter. Well, that's something that really we, we don't speak to as, as Christians. Um, it's all comprehensively part of our Christian worldview. So, um, and if we don't understand yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, if we're not speaking, if we're not speaking to it, someone else is, is assuredly yes. speaking to it. Yes. When someone says, well, you can't impose your morality on other people. Uh, I said, well, when you say that, I guarantee you that the other people who are imposing their morality on them. <laughs> exactly. And that, that, those other people, that means you. Yes. Uh, and so, you, again, you just, you've got you've to lay out, you've got to know what, again, we started off with this, what's, what's the first step? You've got to understand what the issues are, and you have mm. to be able to be educated in order to articulate those, those, those positions. Yes. I, I sit around with our, my, some of my grandchildren and, uh, and I'm constantly asking them, you know, questions about about things. Uh, you know, ask them you know, a lot of them, ge you know, geography and whatever. But help them think through an issue. You've got this particular thing. You know, what do you what do you say to somebody who says that? And da, 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 da. Now they're very very young, but the fact that I'm I'm grilling them on this stuff, I've turned it into a game. Every time if we ever watch <laughs> a movie together, when the movie's over, I start asking them questions about the movie. We did this with uh, it's it's a wonderful life. Over the uh, Christmas holidays, one year they watched it, and I was asking them a question. I said, "What, what, what? Two uh, um, Sesame Street characters are in It's a Wonderful Life," and uh, and of course they didn't know. They didn't really think about it very much. But uh, the the po the policeman and the cab driver, one's named Bert and the other one's named Ernie. Uh, and it's not that the Bert and Ernie characters. Sesame Street were named after them, but it was this the whole point 
of observing, paying mm. attention to what what you're seeing and hearing, and to be able to formulate uh, a a perspective on 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 what's going on, and you project, you know, based upon this, you know, you look at a person's life and the impact that that person's life has on other people's lives and so forth. Well, it's the same with ideas. Mm. And one idea, there was a book written not too many, too many years ago called Ideas Have Consequences. Yep. And so you got to get Christians to start thinking about how, in what way do these ideas have consequences? Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> really good points. <laughs> um, oh, do you have something to add, Joe? No, everyone? I just found that interesting. I didn't yeah. even catch that. I, I never watched Sesame Street really ever. <laughs> but that's kind of cool to think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, just just my last my last point here, um, victory in Christ. And we were talking a little earlier about you know eschatology and how you you have to understand a few things before you get to the victor the victory portion of the eschatology. Which really, from my perspective, sort of I mean the past three or four years is. I've really just started getting into a lot of this and studying it and actually wanting to understand what's happening um, or what the Bible's talking about in all of these different areas. But from my perspective, that victory is what really drives. It's how you, you know, you can kind of tell what a person's eschatological viewpoint is in terms of how they, you know, what are they doing? Are they, are they driven? What are they doing? And maybe they're inconsistent with what they believe, but that that motivation. So this victory in Christ. I mean, Second um, Corinthians two fourteen. Thanks be to God who in Christ uh, always leads us in triumph. Um, then Ephesians six twelve. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world, uh, worldly forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, this is this is a battle that's happening. Um, and that was our verse a couple a couple weeks back. But y- you wrote an uh, article. I guess it was March. Third or thirteenth, um, working for earthly objects distant in time, um, and I, it was a really really good article. I read through that. I'll have it linked in the description for anybody who wants to read through it. It's it's a fairly short read, but there's a lot of content in there. Um, and one of your quotes, you know, you you were talking about uh, Darby and what he brought up, you know, with premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism premillennialism. But you, you know, one of the quotes there was John Nelson Darby, one of the founders of dispensational premillennialism taught that the imminent return of Christ today or or imminent return of Christ totally forbids all working for earthly objects distant in time. So I was wondering if you could just comment on that a little bit. Um, And that, that forbidding of, of working for things that are, have a, a, a long longevity of, of permanence essentially. Well, this, uh, the fellow who wrote that, this was, remember, this is in the 19th century, and the fellow who wrote it was a very uh, supportive uh, follower of Darby, and then as he began to think through these things a little bit, he, <laughs> he began to wonder, this just doesn't make, make sense. Mm. And uh, so Darby essentially said, look, the only reason you should be involved with, say, mathematics or science and all that, if it had an immediate impact on some evangelistic type issue. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. don't waste your time on this. Uh, and of course, Darby was under the impression that, the, that Jesus could return at any, you know, at any mm. at any time. And so, yeah. So why? In fact, that was when when I when I first I wrote the first volume we got in government. I would oftentimes go out and do some lectures on it. 
and, and invariably there'd be somebody say, why are we bothering with this government thing? Jesus is coming back soon. <laughs> wow. So this, remember now, this was in, this was in the 1980s. Wow. Uh, and uh, Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, came out in 1970. And in that book, he said that Israel becoming a nation again in 1948 was prophetically important, significant. And then he said, Matthew 24, 34, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And the generation was 40 years. And so you add 40 to 1948, you get 1988. And so this was, so when I wrote the, the God and Government series, 82, 84, and 86, people in the 1980s were expecting the end to take place. Wow. And, uh, and there were, and, I, and a lot of people over the years have written to me and said, you know, I believed all that. I didn't go to college. I didn't do this because I thought, you know, we were, we were living in, we were <laughs> wow. living in the last days. That's crazy. Um, and so that, that had a, a, a big effect on people. Um, and I, I, I coach, I coach track and, you know, uh, track and field, uh, the, the shot, the, the shot and the, uh, uh, the, the discus at a local Christian school. And I've, I've worked with kids for a very, very long time. And uh, you can tell different different people and their their expectations. You can talk, you can see about, you can ask about uh, why they really want to do this and all that. And then you can find the person who's really motivated. Hmm. So right now I've got a kid who's really motivated. Uh, he'll call me up and say, Coach, where are you today? I said, well, your coach said there was no practice today. He said, well, I want to practice. So I drive over there and I work with him. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. And, and, you, and, you know, he's, he has a lot of work to do in order to get where he is. But if I immediately said, look, yeah, you're only throwing this far. You know, give it up. You know, I'm not, that's it. And that would discourage them. Right. And it's, it's, I think it's the same with a lot of people. They look around us. They see what's going on around them. And they say, this is too big of a nut to crack. Mm, and yep. as a result of that, I'm not going to do anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, you know, back, back to athletics, uh, this, is, this kid's in ninth grade. I see what he's throwing in ninth grade. And I can project out, if he continues to work, in four years, he could do this far. Uh, but it's going to take this work up to that time. Well, other people are working, too. And so, and, and most people fall away. Most people give up. Uh, and uh, there was a, um, I was watching this film just the, well, la last night. It was called uh, Tomorrowland. I think that's what it was called. Hmm. George Clooney is in it. And this, it's, it's all about the future. It's very, if you want to use, put a label on, very post-millennial. <laughs> it's not trying to be post-millennial. It just is very future-oriented. And the, the, the young girl who's very interested in technology and so forth, uh, and you know, talking to her father, and her father really is, he's, he's not real supportive, and he's, he's kind of pessimistic about his job and so forth and so on. And she comes up to him, and she's about this story that he, he tells, about every person has two wolves on the, on the inside. One, one wolf is a is despair and defeat, and the and the and the other the other wolf is uh, uh, you know, optimistic and, and looking forward you know to, to the future, and the the, the question is uh, which wolf wins, hmm. and she, and of course she said the one you feed, 
And so <laughs> your attitude about something that's out there is extremely important in order to whether or not it's going to change. Hmm. And, and, and I always add to this that, yes, things look, there are lots of things that have to change. And I said, look, don't be discouraged by that. Pick one thing that you think God has called you to do and work that one thing. And mm. don't feel guilty that you're not doing everything. Mm. Everybody That's has different gifts and different interests. Yep. And it, and the, the, the idea of the, the you know, Paul talks about the body yep. and how it has different parts and you need, you need all the different pieces. And what generally happens is, just like in sports, not everybody plays the same sport. Not everybody plays the same position. Uh, they all do different things. And, you, and over time, things come together and you have a great performances and and, and so forth. And so that, you know, it's what you feed. What, what are you feeding yourself in terms of, uh, you know, b- bringing about fundamental change? And that yep. change has to come within just, you have to, it has to begin with yourself. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's really good. And I'm, I'm going to tie a, a quote from page 224 into that because I, I think it works really well. Um, you know, you, you said a new political order cannot resolve the battle, nor can reconciliation come by military strength and power. And then you quoted, uh, let's see, Zechariah 1 verses 18 through 21, and then chapter 4, verse 6. Um, but I, I think that's really important for us to understand that I, I listened to a show, uh, the Steve Day show, and he always says, the cavalry ain't coming you're the cavalry. <laughs> you, you know, you, we can't just sit on the couch and just wait for some movement or some big party to come and fix everything. That's not, that's not going to happen. We, <laughs> I mean, I think the popular phrase from the left is be the change you want to see in the world. You know, like we are the ones who God has called to go and make disciples. You know, all authority has been given to him. It's been given to Christ. Now, therefore, because of that, now go. Go and make disciples. This isn't just a just sit on your couch and do nothing. This is a this is a go. And you, you had another quote. You know the the gates of hell will not prevail. Those are you know defenses. We're on the attack. We're attacking the defenses of of the gates of hell. <laughs> and you know the the, uh, you know, the the thing you have to understand about all this too is the idea of community. Hmm. That there are other people out there who think the way we do. And in social media today and the various various networks that are that are out there people can be encouraged yes by what like a, what apologia folks apologia are doing and the people yeah. that um, cross politic yep. are doing and then alliance defending freedom and other organizations these things did not exist years ago mm. yeah uh, they, they just weren't there uh and there are all kinds of uh websites out there even though there's a lot of censorship that's going on there's still tons and tons of information out there there are always organizations out there that are that are, that are doing something you just you need to find your niche and involve yourself in it and learn everything you can about yes. that particular area yep and don't feel guilty that you're not doing everything but at the same time you want to be able to give support to these people who are doing other things and and they do the same for you mm. yep that's a really good point that is a really good point. Um, so just to kind of, I want to end things kind of on a, on a positive note. And there was one discussion topic that I didn't get to, but hopefully in like, let's say six or seven minutes, we can, we can uh, talk about this because um, <laughs> we, we do have to wrap it up pretty quickly. But, um, you know, the, the, 
this whole COVID mess is a recent event that has definitely changed aspects of our society. And a lot of that is going to carry into future policy. We're going to see a lot of things that kind of, you know, carry over from all the ridiculous stuff that's happened in the past two years, the overreaching of government, a civil government in pretty much every country on the planet, um, except maybe Sweden. (laughs) And they were already pretty bad to start. Um, Have you seen any examples of a positive movement towards advancing God's kingdom um, that has come out of the lockdowns, that's come out of all this, where it's kind of woken people up to the fact that, hey, this is bad. Our civil government can do this at the flip of a switch. They had the power. All of this was already lined up and ready to go. And boom, they just implemented all these things. Do you think people have been woken up? Have you seen any positive trends? Or do you see most people just kind of going back to normal? I, I I just think there are different types of people out there mm. who some are scared to death, uh, some are frantic that this you know about about wear double double masks. They're upset that if someone isn't wearing a mask, yeah. um, there are government officials who see this as a way to con- you know control people. Uh, there are lots of people out there who are doing their own homework on all this and beginning to uh, like my wife and I we. We we haven't gotten any any sh- any yeah. shots. Uh, we we only wear a mask when we're absolutely when we actually have to wear a mask. I guess yeah. we fly somewhere. I got to wear a mask. Um, I think a lot of uh, there are a lot of legal battles taking place trying to get the, these governments from f- from forcing compliance in in the uh, in, in the military uh, in government places and shutting down restaurants. I, I think a lot of people are in fact fed up with this, but at the same mm. time, it's, you know, it's, it's when, when suppose people in authority, uh, are, are saying you could die from this and your grandmother and your grandfather <laughs> could die from this. Yeah. It's hard to say, you know, wow, they, you know, even if they're only 50% right, uh, you know, I want to kind of go along with this. I, I'm, I'm hoping that from all this, we began to see that they, they've really done a, a lot of lying about it. Yes. And, uh, and I, I, I think it's going to be harder next time for them to, to do anything. I just see yeah. Fauci's talking about another shot and all that. I don't think <laughs> Biden and Kamala Harris, they, go, you know, they got another shot and, yeah. and Biden said, oh, it didn't hurt a bit. I mean, <laughs> you know, Okay. Wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, big, big deal. Yeah, I just yeah. I think more and more people today are ignoring it. I think yeah. they're going on with their lives. Um, yeah. you, you think about this: travel is up. You know, uh, hotels uh, uh, they're 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 being almost packed now. Um, Winnebago is uh, four point four billion dollars in back and backlogs of. Of, of vehicles. Wow. Uh, I think people are going on, you know, going on with their lives. And yeah. That, there's a lot of mistrust that's, <clears throat> that's taking place. Yeah. Yep. I, I definitely agree. I, I, I'm a little concerned to see some of the pockets that, that are, that are waking up to this, but aren't they're, they're, they're maybe not Christian at all, or they are Christian, but they have that synthetic worldview we've been, you know, you, you talked about in your book, we've been talking about all day. It's, it's concerning to see these people are now understand, they've been woken up, they understand the importance of fighting back, but we, we've lost that Christian foundation that our founding fathers had that allowed us to, you know, if God is on our side, who can be against us, that allowed them to win the day because God was there because they were following him and doing it his way. 
it seems like we've lost that as a culture generally. And it's a little concerning to see all of this. Now there's people, an uprising, but it kind of starting to look a little bit like the French revolution, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a bit concerning. Yeah. I, I think what's, I, you know, there's just some things you just, unless you had a revolution, which I don't, I don't agree that we should. Yeah. In, in, in that respect, they never, they never, they never turn out well. Uh, the French revolution is a good indicator of that. Yeah. Um, we had a war for independence, uh, which is not a revolution in the usual mm. sense. When a good when distinction. To yeah. the French revolution. Yep. Um, I, I, and it's, you know, when governments come in and make these decrees and then, you know, fine you $13,000 for this and for that, it's, it's, unless you have just a massive number of people saying, no, we're not doing this. We're going to, we're going to stay open. Uh, the government just has more resources than, than, yeah. than we, we, the people do. That's why you've got to get involved politically and, yes. and change the political structure. Look, Ron DeSantis is, is, the, uh, is the example of this. <laughs> uh, he, he said no. And we, you yeah. know, Florida, we, for the last two years, we've vacationed with my, my youngest son and their five, five children uh, in, in, in Florida. And uh, I, the last time we were down there, I was uh, one of these food trucks and there was these ladies there and I, we got to talking and they were down there for a wedding and they said, this is unbelievable. There's no, there are no masks. People aren't wearing any masks <laughs> down here. And she said, we were kind of afraid to come down here because we, you know, we heard this, this state is a little different. Well, they were just overwhelmed with the freedom. I mean, no one was wearing yeah. a mask. There were a couple of stores that required you to yeah. wear a mask and we just didn't go in them. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, it was the same here uh, in South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, Florida is, look, there's people get sick all the time. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm in the, you know, I'm in, my wife and I are in our 70s, and so we, you know, we're in the high risk, high risk area. Hmm. Um, so, uh, but you know, we've we've suffered no ill effects of anything. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, this has been a really good discussion. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. We we really appreciate it, and uh, we're really looking forward to seeing you in person this Thursday. But then also reading through the rest of the chapters. Um, in volume two of your book, God and Government. So we're going to be reading through chapters three and four this week. Um, and so next week, we'll be talking about that on the show. So for you at home, if you're listening to us or watching us, grab your copy of this book, uh, AmericanVision.org, not .com, .org. Got it right. <laughs> and uh, follow along with us. Um, it's a really, really cool book. A um, lot of fascinating information in all three volumes. So if you get if you get the hardback, there is a, a we have a brand new study guide that goes along with it oh, as well. Oh, nice! Very yeah. cool. Yeah, very cool. We might have to grab that and see if we can do something with our with our church with that. That would be yeah. really neat. Yeah. Well, very cool, Joe. Anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? No. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Don't forget, go to trdshow.net. Share that link with as many people as you can. Go to crosspolitic.com/libertytour. Uh, and that's where you can register for the Thursday event this Thursday, April 7th, here in Rapid City. See us, see Gary Damar, all of us in person. Um, we would love to see you there. And uh, as always, we will see you on the next episode.